Welcome to Series 3, Episode 2 with Richard Brodie, a player whose career really took off at Booth and Crescent, where he scored so many goals, including a memorable brace against Crewe in the FA Cup and a last-minute winner against Luton Town in the playoffs, which was the last of his 37 goals that season. Brodie went on to sign for Crawley Town, then represent a number of clubs before returning to York in 2016. This episode is sponsored by Ken and Beverly Thorpe. Ken has been a York City supporter for over 70 years and his daughter Beverly over 30 years. They both enjoy regular visits to Booth and Crescent and over the years have watched many games. They have seen a significant number of players with a wide range of abilities. Richard stands out as a memorable character for his great achievements on the pitch and off the field antics. Richard impressed Ken with his goal scoring record which is up there with one of the club's greatest players Arthur Bottom. Beverly remembers the Angel of the North goal scorer Tannoy announcement with the appropriate arms outstretched celebration for Brodie. Um, they have been impressed with these podcasts and dedicated to show their appreciation by making a donation to the hospital radio through sponsoring this episode. Hospital Ball is a spin-off from York Hospital Radio. The views of the guests are their own and don't necessarily represent the views of the station. But without further ado, here is Richard Brodie. Right, Richard, um, thanks for joining us. I thought we'd, it'd be poignant to start at the first game where York City fans first came across you, and that was when you appeared for Newcastle Benfield against York City in the FA Cup fourth round qualifying round in uh, 2006. What are your memories of that game? I actually didn't realise, sort of, at the time, how big a club York was. I was playing, what would I have been? I would have been 18, playing so-called man's football. And believe it or not, I signed from a team, signed for Benfield for a team called Wickham, which is the village where I'm from in Gateshead. And Wickham had played Benfield the year before in the FA Vars. And uh, big Johnny Brown was a big centre half, 31, 32, and I was 17, 18. And he was renowned for being a big, hard lad. And the reason Benfield actually signed me was because apparently Johnny Brown said to Paul Baker, he said, Who's that cheeky young lad playing up front for them? He said, I'm sick of him elbowing me in the face. He went, I've tried everything. He just keeps coming back. So that's the reason they signed me initially. I ended up becoming really good friends with Johnny Brown. Yeah, I just remember the game. I remember um, we, we lost 1-0 to a Clayton Donaldson penalty, I think, if that's I remember right. rightly. And I think I hit the post. Did that's I go right. around Tom Evans? Yeah, I went around Tom. I think I hit the post. But it was, it was a great occasion for us because we were playing against a, a full-time football outfit. And me and Bakes had a drink that night, me and Paul Baker, and he just said, Billy McHugh, and it said, I, I like your number nine. And from there on, it, Billy must have kept an eye on me. Cause, because Paul Baker obviously played for York City in the mid-90s as well, so did he tell you anything about sort of when he played for York City that night when you had a drink? Yeah, Bakes did. Um, I think the Bakes played the game at Old Trafford as well, when you played Old yeah, Trafford. Yeah, he got sent off, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, that's about right. But I can't say much, can I? <laughs> but no, um, Bakes uh, actually helped me out with the deal. Bakes come down when I actually signed, come with us uh, to Bootham Crescent. And helped me get the deal over the line with Billy. So, obviously, they must have kept an eye on me. Um, so, I was working as a bricklayer at the time. I was an apprentice bricklayer. Used to play for Benfield on a Saturday. And used to get 85 quid on a Saturday. Which, you know, for a 17, 18-year-old kid, it's great, isn't it? You know, Saturday afternoon. And I remember getting a call. Benfield had drew Truro in the FA Vars. And Bakes had said, you can have him. But I wanted to keep him for the Truro game. So, you can imagine, Newcastle to Truro is long enough as it is on a bus. <laughs> Coming back on the Sunday morning. We were all sort of, we were all tanked up. We'd been out with Newquay and we'd had a drink and we're coming back and 
we, we got beat to Turo and we were really unfortunate. I had a goal disallowed that was onside. It got given offside. And we ended up getting beat. And that night, we got back. And I, the Monday morning, I got a phone call. Bakes had said, look, you can go to York now. It's all done. He said, we're out the trophy. You can go. Um, so I had to phone my boss, who was a bricklayer, and said, I won't be coming back. He said, why? What's the problem? I said, I'm signing to be a professional footballer. And he just said, good luck. That's a great, it's a great story. So did you know then, going to Turo for that game, did you know that you were going to sign for York on the, on the Monday? Or was that that Paul Baker kept that secret then? I didn't know it was going to be as quick as like, look, let's get back. I just thought we'd all had a drink and I thought it was big. So maybe, you know, we are all had a drink and you know what things like when you've had a drink and stuff. And um, I just thought it was, oh, I'm going to York, but it could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be next season. And it just, it happened like that. It was done and dusted. And you say it happened like that. And I, and I guess sort of signing for York and then your debut sort of happened like that as well, didn't it? Because you came on against Altrinham in February 2007 as a 19-year-old and you scored in a 4-0 win. Were you, were you thinking on that sort of, you know, on the bus back that night thinking, well, this is, this is easy, this. You know, I've been semi-pro, I've signed pro and I've scored on my debut. I just remember, I mean, I've always loved scoring goals. I just remember the buzz and uh, Clayton Donaldson had a shot and Stuart Coburn, who was in goal for Altrincham at the time. I mean, I couldn't miss, to be honest, but it, it's a great way, it's a great way to sort of get that because I could have went, for example, I've had it before where you go 10, 12 games and you're not scoring and York fans could have been thinking, who was signed here, you know, but I got the tap in. It was a great, great feeling. It was a great win. I never forget. Things stick out in your mind. I went to my phone. I took it on the bus at Altrincham, and I had something stupid like 58 text messages on my phone of people. You know, they'd come on Jeff Stelling that I'd scored and, you know, well done. And I just thought, wow, I, I like this. I want more of this. Yeah, so you had a taste for it. What, what was Billy McEwen like then? Because it, from the sidelines, he seemed like he was quite a disciplinarian and... and but, but also, at the same time, he, he seemed to sort of like working with young players that were quite raw and sort of seemed to take a lot of pride in, in trying to make players better. Yeah, do you know what? Billy was Billy. He was, he was old school. He was strict. He, talk, he liked talking about players that he'd played with and played against and, and worked with. You know, name drop players and Brian Clough and uh, Clive Mendonca, people like that. But I'm ever thankful for Billy. He gave me a chance and... I don't know if many people would have. You look at the likes of myself, Martin Wolford, who went on to have a better career than me. Another one uh, Billy gave a chance to. When I got my move to Crawley, I'd lost touch with Billy. How he got my phone number, I don't know. I got a text. Time, I found out he was working in Antigua. And he texted me when I moved to Crawley, went, congratulations on your move. Good luck. Your first boss, Billy. People don't see that. People just see the side of him where he's ranting and raving on the touchline. And as your career goes on, naturally you get experience. And I probably could have dealt with it a bit better. But I was a young lad that had been given a chance. I was just grateful to be there, to be honest. I mean, the following season was was a little bit tough at the start, I think. You know, certainly the first half of the season. And you got a little bit of abuse from the fans. And I remember McEwen being quite protective of you in the press at the time. Was that quite tough on you as a young lad? We, God, I'm only 19 here. I'm, I'm doing my best. Yeah, it was really tough, but I've managed to, through my career, sort of, you know, I've got stick everywhere I've went, so I, I managed to get used to it. So I looked at it as a positive and in a way later on. At the time, it wasn't a positive. There was times when I was tired. People said coming from part-time to full-time is a massive adaptation to your life, to your body, and your sleep patterns, your eat patterns, your, your, you know, things like that. But I do remember Stafford Rangers away where Billy actually put me on as a substitute and he put me on and brought me back off and I just wanted the ground to swallow me up. But you've got to deal with it. You've got to, you've got to move on. It, it was really, really hard. I had to deal with it. I was grateful of Billy being, you know, being so protective over me. Um, but I, I did find it tough. And at the time, I, from that year on, I swore that I would never, ever go on a fans forum and read what a supporter said about me. And I did at the time. I was a young lad and I wanted to see what people were saying and everything was negative. And then I realised that that's football, but 
I never ever went on a, another forum ever again, and that was 15 years ago. That season as well, you, you got two goals in a in injury time against Droyles, and I wonder if that was maybe like the turning point for you because that was such a crazy game, wasn't it? Oh, it was madness! It was New Year's Day, wasn't it? Yeah, it was New Year's, and I, I just thought, you know, going back to the Aldringham thing of my first professional goal, that game and the yellow kick, it was it was in front of the York fans as well, and I remember coming out the ground and. And it was like the swarms of York fans who were sort of singing my name and so jubilant that they got that result that day. And I thought, you know what? I've played a part in that. I'll never ever take credit for any result or anything because football is a team game. But I thought, you know, I've done my job today. And it's, it's satisfactory when you can go home from work, whatever you do, and say, I've done my job, I've played my part. I mean, that, that season, you, you know, you ended up with, with 10 goals, I think, 14 in all competitions, which is pretty respectable, you know, as a starting off as a 19-year-old. That was the season that Billy McEwen got, got sacked as well. Do you think he was a bit unlucky to be sacked at the time? Yeah, I do think he was a bit unlucky to be sacked. But as you've known over the past few years, that, that's, that's football now and it's only going to get worse. It's a results-based business. And he was unfortunate because he was building a team. He, he had the youth. He had Tom and Goal. He had, I think, Fozzie was there at the time. He had people like Steve Bowie, Emmanuel Panther, Neil Bishop, Clayton Donaldson. So he had his experience as well. He was trying to blend it all together and, you know yourself, Rome wasn't built in a day. It, it, it takes time. And I, I think he you know, probably did deserve a little bit more time. And when he did get sacks, obviously, Colin stepped up to the plate. And that was good for a short space of time. And then that went pear-shaped too. Yeah, wh- why did that go pear-shaped? Because he was sort of working in the background with Billy McEwen as well, wasn't he, as a coach? And like you say, you were doing quite well under him to start with. And then it sort of went pear-shaped. And then you ended up getting loaned out to Barrow. And I, and I think maybe at the time, as a, as a fan, I, I kind of thought you might have been on your way out of a club until, until Colin got the sack. What, what, what happened in that relationship? There was two car schools coming from the northeast. There was myself, Daz Craddock. Uh, there was Stuart Elliott, Paul Brayson. Then you had Craig Farrell, Dave McGurk, uh, Mark Robinson. They were coming from Middlesbrough. So there was about eight of us travelling in. And Colin had this thing about us being a drinking culture in the northeast. And if you, if you notice, slowly the Northeast lads got less and less. Somehow, I managed to stay, but I remember playing Northwich at home and I played on the left of a midfield in a 4-4-2. Colin actually told me when I left that I'd, I wouldn't play for the club again while he was in charge. No, no reason, just maybe his opinion, but that was his opinion. Like I said, I don't know the reason behind it. And I just remember, I remember him sending me out on loan to Barrow. I went to Barrow and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. We drew Eastbourne in the FA Cup, which from Barrow is a trek and a half, by the way, and managed to get a replay on a Tuesday night. They had to come to Barrow on a Tuesday night, which is even worse. We beat them and we drew Middlesbrough uh, away in the FA Cup. So that was the midweek. There was a big crowd at Barrow on the Tuesday night then. On the Saturday, we played Weymouth. And on the Friday, I got a phone call of Jason McGill before the Weymouth game, which was the last day of my loan. And he said, you'll be coming back to, to York. The, the manager's gone. I said, OK. So I played my last game on the Saturday, gave the Barrow fans a nice round of applause and knew that was me saying goodbye because I was trekked very well there. I was trekked really well there. Uh, then on the way back in the car, Neil Redfern phones up. He says, Broads, yeah, Redders, yeah, no problem. He said, we've got Crawley tomorrow at home. He said, you're on the bench. I said, Redders, I've just played 90 minutes for Barrow. He said, no, no, you're on the bench, lad. He says, well, you're on the bench. We've got a game tomorrow. So I ended up being on the bench and I think it was a 2-2 draw, was it? Yeah, on yeah the I think Sunday? so. I think it was a 2-2 draw. And then on the Monday, Martin Foyle walked in. Little did I know, I found out later, that he was in the Crawley end that day as a supporter. <laughs> Obviously in disguise sort of thing, you know, watching, watching the team. So yeah, Foyle coming on the Monday. I mean, what difference did Martin Foyle make to your, to your game? I mean, it, was it because he was an ex-striker himself that, that he kind of took you under his wing? But it certainly seemed to me to seem like 
like I say, you were getting goals a year before, but you seem to push on to another level once Martin Foyle came in. Do you know what? I think people can make football complicated when generally it's it's quite a simple game and it could be complicated by formations, by tactics, by everything. Foyle come in and I remember him, his first speech to the lads. I was sat next to Mark Robinson and Robbo went, I could listen to him all day. He come to me and he said, you look a little bit lost. You just need a bit of guidance. I'll never forget that. And boy, did he help me. And I want a managing coach. I want to go down that way. And I think that if you can understand your players and work with them and get the best out of them and, and get to know them, at the end of the day, there's that many managers in football that treat you like a piece of meat. You're a human being. Foyle got to know me, got the time to know me, got to know what made me tick. And that helped me. So I was doing my job. So he, he couldn't complain. But i tell you one thing, what he did do, he embarrassed me and had a right go at me when I got sent off at Ebbsfleet away. And I didn't mind that because I deserved the criticism. But he'd, I'd had that much praise that I was out of line, told me off. He, <laughs> he fined me, made me watch the video. He said, that's scandalous. So you hold your hands up, don't you? And, and that little instant of when he did have a go at me in the office, because... Everyone was like, oh, you know, you're, you're Foyley's golden boy or this, that and the other. Which, all right, we got on. But at the end of the day, I was doing my job in the team. So he had no reason to have a go. But when he did have a go, I thought, yeah, you know, uh, you're right. You're right. So, so it sounds to me like it was, it was more man management for Martin Foyle than it was maybe kind of doing, you know, drills on the training pitch with you and, and finishing and stuff like that. So it was more of a man management sort of style. It, no, no it, was, it was a bit of everything because he used, to, he used to take the strikers after training and so Andy Porter would take the midfielders and obviously the goalkeepers and defenders would do their own bits. But Ports took the rest and, and Foyley did take the strikers and worked for 10, 15 minutes every day. And it, it helps. It's just giving information but little bits at a time. You know, a lot of managers overload you with stuff. He goes straight to the point, done your bit. The next day you do something else and it would make you slowly a better player. So, so that season, like, like we say, you, you know, you're almost like a lost boy, like you say, and you went to Barrow and you didn't know whether you were coming or going. But that season ended up being quite successful for, for you personally. I mean, I know on the pitch, the team didn't do well in the league for York, but 19 goals that season. And then the FA Trophy getting to the final to play at Wembley and, and you got one of the key goals in the, in the second leg at home to Telford. Yeah. Was that for you personally, were you thinking, you know, I, I can really push on here? Yeah, of course. You know, like I said at the beginning, scoring goals is 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 the best feeling you will ever have, apart from when my children were born. Like like I said, after the first goal, Lodrim, I wanted more. And I knew that me on a Saturday, if I had done my job, the goal against Telford that hit the post and went in, I mean, the place erupted, there was toilet rolls, there was everything. And it was, you get the hairs on the back of your neck standing up with it. And I know that I'm putting a smile on those punters' faces. And, you know, it, it, it makes you feel good about yourself. And it makes you feel good that people are talking about you. I thought, right, I can do this. I can do more. Yeah. And, and I really did click on. And obviously, the following season was, was even better. With me being sent out on loan and thinking that my time was up, I, you know, I've bounced back and, you know, proven people wrong. That was a big, I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in proving people wrong. That summer then, you're probably going into it thinking, well, I've, I've finished with 19 goals, I've had a good season personally, I can kick on from here. But then the Michael Rankin signs, Michael Gash signs as well. Were you thinking your place might have been under threat? Yeah, 100%. 100%. You, you always do it when, when, when people walk through the door. But then again, I thought, you know what? I had a little bit of an upper hand because I'd worked with Foyley before. I knew the manager. The, the, the players he'd signed were new. And then you look at the type of players that he brings in and, and Gashian ranks weren't the same type of players as what I was. And in the end, I thought, I thought we can complement each other here. And in the end, it did work out that way. But yeah, of course you, of course you worry for yourself. And you think, 
one injury, one suspension, you're out the team and you're not back in and it could be months before you're back in. That, that's just a natural thing. But, so does that make you a bit more kind of aware of that when you're in the team that you have to do well to stay in it? It's a competition quite healthy for you. Of course it did, because, you know, the time before when you sat on the bench for Colin Walker, when you sat on the bench for Billy, you know, I I, knew, I didn't want to sit on the bench. I, I wanted to be out there, you know, like I said, putting smiles on those people's faces and doing what I'm paid to do is to go and score goals and, and help the team get three points. I mean, that, that season was just phenomenal, wasn't it? I mean, for you personally and the team, to be honest, I mean, your best ever season, 34 goals or, or 37, shall we say, because those ones against Chester. Quickest ever to 20 goals as well. You beat Upper Bottoms, uh, long, you know, long-standing record there did you ever set any targets as a striker before the season to think you know I want to get 20 goals or no I think for me everyone's different for me I think if you set targets and you don't reach that target for me you've failed so I, I didn't set any targets I just thought I went out on a Saturday and thought if I can keep going if you through the week can make prepare yourself so you're at the best condition on a Saturday at three o'clock you give 100% you're going to have bad games of course you are and things aren't going to be working for you ironically the Luton game and the playoff semi-final I remember coming in the next day Kevin Gallen played a front for Luton that day Jeff Miller the physio went bro let's have a look at this Kevin Gallen's touches he held it up this many times he held it up that many times I touched the ball five times in that game I said Jeff what does it say on the top I said it says Brody 1-0 doesn't matter how many times you've touched it Jeff I said I've scored the goal and you get games like that but I knew I'd always give 100% and I speak to a lot of people that didn't like to play against me because I was just, if I wasn't having a bad game, I'd make sure they weren't having a bad game. I mean, you talked before about that Telford game where, where the, you know, you know, the David Longer stand erupted and, and kind of the atmosphere was fantastic. I think that was the same for the, for the crew game in the FA Cup where we won 3-2 and you scored two brilliant goals that day. The first one was, was an absolutely brilliant header and, and kind of a way that you kind of bent your neck to sort of get, get it <laughs> was, was brilliant. But the second goal, a goal that I don't think was kind of like a, a goal we'd seen from you before. Was that down to just pure confidence? Because you kind of got the ball, you know, in, in kind of like a, not a poor position, but on, on, right on the wing, weren't you? And then all, all of a sudden, like within sort of 15 seconds, you're there in front of goal. It was a confidence thing. Confidence, is, it does wonders for me as a person. I think it does as everyone. And at the time, I just thought anything is possible. I just thought I can, I felt like I could do anything. And I felt like I knew, I knew 100%. If I tried something and it didn't come off, the lads wouldn't have really said much because I'd, I'd scored goals and I was doing well. And I knew Foley would just say, unlucky, better look next time. I knew I w- there's managers where you're frightened, Steve Evans, frightened to do something because he's going to have a go at me. I knew I was in that freedom to go and do what I wanted to do. And if it come off, it come off. And that season, nine times out of ten, it come off. <laughs> and that was the case for the second goal, wasn't it? The next round was at Stoke City away, which was... Probably a tough afternoon, but did that give you a bit of a taste as you know, you're playing at that sort of level? And... We were late, weren't we, on the day? And we had to, oh, it was it was a nightmare. But coming out and looking at those fans behind the goal, I think they took 4,000 that day. We deserved that day at, uh, at the Britannia Stadium. We, we, we'd earned that as a non-league club, but Stoke were horrible. I remember, fully enough, uh, I was on the bus on the way there and Steve Watson texted me. And Watto had said, um, do you want a shirt, bro? It's good luck today. Do you want a shirt? I knew Watto from the North East, you see. He said, do you want a shirt, bro? I said, yeah. He said, I'll, James Beattie will sort your shirt for you. I said, no problem. Thanks, pal. So I'm in the tunnel before the game. I get a tap on the shoulder. He says, Brody, I went, yeah. He said, um, Watto's text me. He said, the shirt's fine. No problem, big man. I thought, you know what? Brilliant. Anyway, that was the year that Beattie and Pulis had the big fallout and they cancelled the Christmas due. Mm. So after Beattie come off and went down the tunnel, I'd never seen anything of him. And as I'm coming back in after the game, all the lads had swapped shirts. I didn't have a shirt. And BT was stood there outside the dressing room. He went, there you go, mate. 
he said, good luck. He said, I've heard good things about you. And I thought that was really, really good as well. Really good. Yeah, really nice touch, wasn't it? Particularly from, you know, established Premier League player at the time. And we, we touched upon the Luton Town game there before. I mean, like you say, you kind of took the words off my script, really, but I was going to say that, you know, you did have quite a quiet game that night. It seemed that Luton yeah. shuffled you quite well, but just that one chance, and that's what all good strikers do, don't they? They can, they can often get one chance and, and score from it. Did you sort of anticipate that, that sort of leap from Michael Rankin and the flick on? Because you seemed to get a, a real good yard on that last defender. Yeah, it was black. It was a chain black at the centre half. I, I, I just, Rank's just got a slight touch. By the way, it's never a free kick. Levi Macken slipped. It's never a free kick in a million years. And Ingi's put the ball forward. And I remember the slip. And I just, I, I, I had a quick look and I thought, he's misjudging this header. And he, luckily for me, he, he did. And I just, that was my favourite moment. That and crew are my two favourite moments, uh, goals-wise. But that night, that stadium, it, it went, you know, it, it's it, it's emotional because it was it was such such a proud moment for me and such a proud moment for for the football club and we were wrote off. No one thought we'd beat Luton Town. New York City would beat Luton Town, and we did. And again, not just as a player but as a team, I love being written off because you think no, no, uh, we've got a chance here, and and we did. And we didn't just beat them at home. We went to their place and beat them as well. And just just going back slightly to that goal, what what were you, what were you thinking when you were bearing down on goal? You know that that defender's just behind you. Were you thinking I'm I'm just going to hit this as soon as I get it? Or what, I wasn't thinking at all. I just hit it. I wasn't thinking one bit. I just like I said, I scored so many different types of goals. I just thought I'm just going to hit it, and I hit it. And toilet rolls went everywhere. And you know, <laughs> you look. It was it was fantastic. And then the celebration in the corner where I've slid on my front and. Then you see the mascot jump on top of you, and oh, it was it was unbelievable. I'd, in my career, I've never had a moment like that. And like I, said, I go back to it, smiles on people's faces. You, you couldn't move, you couldn't do anything. And when that final whistle went, it was a relief because we didn't really deserve to win the game. Let's be honest. But that's football, and that's why everyone loves the game. Were you, were you confident then going into the second leg with a one 0 lead? I think yeah. Believe it or not, I think I read the York Press the day after. It's the first ten out of ten I've ever seen. Ty. I got a 10, didn't he, in the paper off Dave Flett, that, that yeah. away leg. Of course we were confident because we beat them at home. They had to do something. We didn't. We didn't have to score. They did. And that helped us. And then obviously we got the goal from the free kick. And then you can sort of relax a bit. But I remember speaking to TY on the way back. And it was one of them weird things where some players like it, some players don't. I hate seeing a clock. I can't stand it. And when it got to 80 minutes, that was the longest 10 minutes ever in the history of my career. And, and everyone's thinking... And then you look up again and you feel like you've been playing six or seven minutes. It's on 81 minutes. And you're going, oh my God, when's it going to hit 90? We just want this done and dusted. Because if they'd scored, it would have been a massive panic. But, you know, we thoroughly deserved it. And I go back to Foley. What he'd done with a small budget, with a small squad, really. All right, we were lucky with injuries and suspensions. And we kept it. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer, as a, when I want to go and manage, I'm a believer. You pick your best team, whether it's the trophy, the FA Cup, you pick your best team. And if that team's... Put, if it's not broken, why change it? You know, just keep... And, and we were we were successful and we all mucked in and we had little funny games. Foyley come and sat with the lads on the bus. As, so there was a mixture of doing that and sitting on his own preparing. Me and Andy Farrell, Foyley and Andy Porter had a flat in York that the, the club had sort of... They used to go home Thursday, Friday, Saturday, obviously if we had a away game, and they used to meet on the bus down the M6. Me and Fez, I used to stay in Foyley's bed and Fez used to stay in Andy Porter's bed. We, we mucked in so much and things like that. What manager is going to let you go and stay in his bed? All he said was, no drinking and no women. <laughs> and, you know, and, but 
because we respected him that much, we, we did. We used to go and cook. We used to leave it tidy, give him the keys back. And that's what we'd done as a group. We mucked in and it showed and it paid massive dividends on a Saturday. Because there was probably better squads in that division. You know, Luton and Oxford, there probably was. But if you've got a group of lads that are working together and know what we're striving for and know what your job is, then... You know, Saturday afternoon takes care of itself. So you mentioned before that after the first leg there was toilet rolls being thrown, after the <laughs> second leg there was the coins being thrown <laughs> on. What just tells your memories of that that situation? I mean, because it was surreal, wasn't it? Looking back, it was it was madness. I, I was in the far corner where the York fans were, but the other corner flag, not where the tunnel was, and we were just sort of celebrating with a flag. And next thing you, these hordes of people come on the pitch, and you could feel the tension. You could feel people getting closer, and I'm claustrophobic. And you could feel people getting closer and closer and closer to you. I'm thinking, what is going on here? And then the lady policeman said to, uh, said to us, after three, just make a run for the, 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 the tunnel and get out of it. So we've looked and went, go on then. So then the, 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 arc, the, the fans arced around and blocked the tunnel off. That's why we had to run up into the stand. Because there's nowhere else to go. If, if we'd have ran into them, we would have got eaten alive. You never know what they had on them. And, you know, mm. it was it was frightening. But it shouldn't have happened. I lived with that for the rest of my career. And I did nothing wrong. Absolutely nothing wrong. And later on, ironically, Richard Money got rid of me at Solly O'Moore's because when he got the job, because of that. Because he was manager of Luton that day. Well, what have I done wrong? It was absolutely... <laughs> It was it was absolute madness, but it was frightening. And then we run up, and there's coins coming. And I think I picked about one pound seventy up off the floor. It didn't get as much, like. So, so moving moving on to the final and against Oxford, that was a very strange game. Looking back, I mean, Oxford came out the blocks real fast, didn't they? Sort of seemed to get into a two 0 lead before we'd even blinked, and then got the own goal just before half time. And then it was it felt like it was all York trying to push for that equaliser. And it, it felt to me like if we'd have got it, then. We may well have gone and gone and won, and may have won on the counters on the end. What what was your memories of that game? Because I, I vaguely remember sort of Michael Rankin getting a really good chance towards the end. That I almost felt that if that had been the other way and he deflected it to you, it might have been a different result. What what do you think? No, it's first goal when Ingy's come out of his box and Constable went round him, didn't he? Like you said, we're two 0 down and you're always fighting up. But the, the worst thing was, I thought I thought we were a better side than Oxford. I, I wasn't sure about maybe Luton, but I, I thought we were a better side. And it, sometimes it's the occasion and. I, re- I couldn't put my finger on that day. I-, I thought we did deserve something out of the game. The second half, it was all us. Like I said, we couldn't score. And you- you've got to have a go. You might as well have a go. It's a, it's a one-off game. And the-, and the quarters on the break, it was disappointing. I've been to Wembley. How many times have I been now? Three times. I've lost three times. Then I went to watch Sunderland last year in the playoff final. And I lost watching them. I thought, I'm not going back there again. <laughs> oh, my God. Training. I mean, that's something you can sort of reflect and be disappointed we've not got promoted. But from a personal point of view, your stock obviously is the highest it probably ever was in your career. At what point did you realise that clubs were starting to look at you? Um, was it around that summer? Because I, I vaguely remember the start of that next season that you almost seemed like you were a little bit unsettled probably from all the kind of rumours that were going around. Never mind that. That summer was horrendous. I, I've never been in that boardroom so much. Contract talks, then I had to go and interview by the police for the Luton thing. I got blamed off the police for it. How, how you was have it to give the £1.70 back. <laughs> no, Richard, <laughs> Richard Money had blamed me. I had, to, I had to be interviewed by... Well, I, it was absolute crazy. So every time I got called in that boardroom, I was thinking, am I in trouble with the police here or am I getting a new contract? It's one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the summer and coming pre-season, obviously disappointed, but excited to get going again. And the club had offered me a new contract before the playoff final. It was a contract where if we'd have lost, it was a contract if we'd have won. So a conference and a football league contract, depending on the result, which I was happy Either way, to be honest, obviously I wanted to get promoted, but I didn't want to go anywhere. Mm. Is my point. So after the game at Wembley, 
we stayed in the hotel with my family and I've gone to go to the toilet and Big Mark Crichton was in there. Didn't realise that Oxford's party was in there, wasn't it? So I'm having a wee and talking to Crichton, just just dead normal. And he went out and I was still in there and he come back in. He said, the gaffer wants you. He says, you are? He went, the gaffer wants you. I said, who? Anyway, Chris Wilder and Jim Rosenthal was sat in this room with, with everyone else like him. Said, come on, we'll get you a beer. I said, oh, my family's in there. No, no, shit. You know, so we ended up just chatting about the game, really. I didn't really want to be there. So I kind of sort of, you know, got out the way. I didn't want to be one in that position and two that just beat us at Wembley. So we spent the night with my family. We had a curry. I was on the tube the next day and my phone rang and it was foily. He said, what did Chris Wilder say to you? <laughs> said, what do you mean? Anyway, the, Chris Wilder had sort of said, you, you know, do you fancy it, this, that and the other, and you know, next season. And I, I said, no, I said, you know, I'm, I'm happy with where I am. And so, Foyle got wind that he tried to sign me and wasn't very happy about the situation. He can ring me now, like, I'll go to Sheffield United now if he wants us to go there now. <laughs> so, no, I, um, the summer got sorted out and I went back pre-season and this, there was rumours of Sheffield Wednesday, there was rumours of Scunthorpe, there was rumours, there was all sorts of rumours. But this Crawley thing just would not go away. And on four separate occasions, I said, I don't want to go. And I told him that. And like I said, Foyle was brilliant. He didn't want me to go. But from the club's point of view, they're getting money for, you know, I think Crawley promised them 200 grand of that money within seven days. But I've not told anyone this before. I don't think it's ever been public. I don't know if anyone will know, but I'd actually agreed terms to sign for Colchester, who was seventh in League One at the time under John Ward. Uh, that was all agreed. 120 grand and 20 grand in add-ons. So it ended up being 140. My wages and things were sorted. It was just ready to go. And uh, I was sat in the garden one day. It was, must have been bank holiday in August. No, it must have been bank holiday. And the phone rang and it was John Ward. And how are you, big man? I said, no problem. I said, I just, just sat with a family in the garden. And John Ward said, with you being a Geordie, he said, no doubt you've got a beer in your hand. I said, yeah, I've got a beer. It's lovely and sunny. And he says, good lad. And Foyle made sure that if I was going to go from my to look after me, then I was going to go to somewhere, who, someone and somewhere who were going to look after me, knowing me as a person. He said, John Ward will be great for you. So that was all agreed. And then obviously that final hour, the final minute of the final day, that ridiculous bid come in and the club kind of, and I didn't want to go. I just did not want to go. I would have went to Colchester. I was going to League One. They got promoted that led to the championship as well. That was better on myself. Crawley, was it better on myself? Probably not. The Crawley move to me, just, I mean, it's, I sound like a bit of an after-timer and hindsight's a wonderful thing, but it, it just felt at the time that it, was, it wasn't going to be the right move for you. I mean, particularly sort of location-wise, I mean, it's, it's five hours from the northeast, isn't it? And, and Steve Evans, I, didn't, I don't know Steve Evans personally, but it, it didn't feel like he was similar to, say, Martin Foyle who'd got the best out of you. What, is my hunch kind of right with that? Or? Yeah, yeah. Everything, was, everything was wrong about it, but by the financial situation but I was a young lad I was living at home and I didn't you know everyone wants more money of course they do but the deal that York had offered me if we'd have got promoted wasn't a kick in the backside off what I was getting anyway it was all it was all wrong for me I didn't settle I didn't enjoy it and this is you know football's crazy but within two months I was in a flat I spent my first sort of six weeks in a hotel and I was in a flat and I, was, I spoke to Jason on the phone Jason McGill he said do you want to come back on loan I said I'd love to Anyway, lo and behold, who texted me, Gary Mills, because he'd had the job at the time, and invited me back. Which, look at that whichever way you want. You'll find out more later, but look at that whichever way you want. At the time, Crawley was Crawley, and then Steve Evans was, or still is Steve Evans. It was a, the wrong move for me at the wrong time. So why did that move not come often to York? I don't know. Nothing ever sort of materialised ever again from okay. after one message or two messages, or a text message from Gary Mills. 
which I found out later on in my career, he doesn't reply to text, or was that just me later on? <laughs> Did you feel any pressure with with that kind of massive fee and and, and everything, or, or was it just were you just homesick, or what? What was the was it a combination of things? I found it difficult. I found it living on my own. People who know me will tell you now. I hated my own company. I had a lovely, lovely flat. I didn't spend any time in it. It was pointless. Looking back, if I had to do it again and I had to move somewhere, I'd have to be put in digs where I've got people around me. I struggled on my own. Found myself doing things that I probably shouldn't have been. You know, spending a, spending a lot of time in the bookies, which I shouldn't have been. And that wasn't even to have a bet. That was more because I didn't want to be on my own. That that was, that was top and bottom of it. I found myself going out at night time. And you know what it's like? There's, there's a football match on every night on the telly. And people say they see me in the pub. I wasn't going in the pub for a drink. I was going in for my tea and I was having a glass of Coke. I just wanted people around me. And I wanted, I paid for the sky in my house. I just didn't want to sit and watch it on my own. I really, really struggled. And I, I, looking back, I would have asked for help. I would have said, if it was Foyle, I would have went, Gaff, I'm struggling. And is there anything we can do? Um, can you put me in with someone? Or can we, you know, Steve Evans wasn't that type of man to approach. So I just kind of got on with it. I remember Christmas Day. I knew, I knew that we were playing Wrexham the next day. And I, we knew 100% it was going to be off. 100% on Boxing Day. So Christmas Eve we trained. And I said, Gaffer, um, do you mind if I go back? I hadn't seen my mum since September. Bearing in mind, if people don't know, there's, there's only been me and my mum since I was six. I lost my dad when I was six. So I've had no brothers or sisters. So we were very close. And for me to move away from that environment was a massive, massive step. And I said, Gaffer, can I go home Christmas Day to see my mum? Not a chance, son. I said, Gaffer, you know, I'll drive back Christmas night. So I'm here for Boxing Day. I knew it was going to be off. He said, if I find out you're going home, I'll find you two weeks' wages. So I remember waking up on, I went out, well, I went for a drink Christmas Eve. Got friendly with a Scottish guy and I remember having a lot to drink. <laughs> I, like I said, we all knew the game was off. It was snowed and I woke up Christmas morning. I had one card and I watched Only Fools and Horses box set. That's all I had to Christmas Day. Luckily, a lad called Glenn Wilson invited me to his house in the Crystal Palace end of London. And I went for Christmas Day there, which really, really helped me. Glenn was a great lad. Yeah, so that, that, that helped me out. But it wasn't the same because all I could think about was home. On the pitch, I know kind of Matt, Matt Tubbs was sort of like the main guy for Crawley, wasn't he? But, but you did sort of score 13 goals on, on the way to Crawley winning the league. And, you know, there was a bit of an FA Cup run in there as well. And, and you hit the bar at Old Trafford as well, didn't you, when you played Man United? So there, there was some elements of, of kind of success for you there, I guess. There was some elements of success, and looking back now, I learned a lot from it. We had a team that was just, honestly, I talk about it again after. The group of lads we had at Crawley and the group of lads we had at Fleetwood, they were both the same. It couldn't be so more contradictory of the team that we had at York the year before. The team we had at York, lovely, lovely lads, real nice lads, proper good time. The team at Crawley and the team at Fleetwood were just a lad of absolute wrongdoms, absolute loose cannons, just but. But we were so good. Good players, great characters. I'm saying loose cannons. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean that as in complete characters. Steve Evans could go and buy who he wanted. He had the money to do that. And luckily for me, I managed. I was in the 16 every single week. I was in the squad every week. There was lads that were missed out. And I think there was a, a stage of about nine weeks in a row where I played one week, I didn't play, then I played. And I knew that was going to be the case because he just rotated. But the best three, the, Tubbsy played down the middle. Me and Craig McAllister played either side. And Steve Evans used to play me on the right-hand side for me to cut in on my left. And Macca was the other side to come in on his right. And that's how Tubbsy got a lot of his goals. He got so many tap-ins, it was frightening. He was just the right place at the right... Honestly, the six-yard box, I bet you 15 of his 40 were in the six-yard box. Maybe it's more. The Man United game, just just tells you your memories of that, because sort of an inch away from scoring at Old Trafford, weren't you? 
Oh, I found out something later on after the Man United game. So I played every round up until then. And we went, we went into the hotel. We're in this lovely hotel in sort of Alderley Edgeway. Uh, so we were the half-five kickoff against Man United on ITV. And the following day, Notts County were the early kickoff against Man City. So Notts County were in our hotel. So I sort of goes out the hotel. And Lee Hughes is standing there having a smoke. And uh, I said, all right. Yeah, he said, all right, mate. I said, is Bishop out? Because Neil Bishop was at uh, Notts County. So me and Bish had a, had a chat and this, that and the other. So it comes to sort of two o'clock. I played every round. We were sat having something to eat. In walks Paul Ince. And Paul Ince done our team talk for the game. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life. So our Steve Evans is sat there with Paul Ince. Paul Ince done our team talk before we went before we left to the ground. Because when we got to the ground, he just wanted us to concentrate on getting changed and getting out there. I was thinking... I just looking at the lads thinking, but that was Steve Evans. You just did not know what to expect. The door opened and in walked Paul Ince. And Steve Evans just thought that was normal. But, <laughs> um, so, unfortunately that day, I wasn't in the team. A lad called Willie Gibson started. So, Willie Gibson had just signed from St Johnston. They just paid a lot of money for him. Afterwards, I found out that contract that Willie had agreed of his agent was, if he was to sign, he had to start at Old Trafford. So, he took my place in between. So I'd play and I thought, ah, I was knocked, like I was pissed off, I was annoyed, I, you know, I, a day at Old Trafford and I, I've missed out. <laughs> so I was on the bench and obviously 1-0 down and um, I went to warm up and at the same time Rooney went and warmed up. Bizarre, because I looked in, still, this is February, I'd still not seen my mum. I looked in the crowd, there's my mum. So I gives her a wave, then then it goes on and it wasn't just a header. I don't know, people don't remember this, I went past Darren Fletcher like he wasn't there, I don't know if you know, I went past him on, on, the, on the left-hand side there, I went past him like he wasn't there and then... We had one corner. It was the only corner of the game. I just remember it coming across. I just thought, I'll head it back towards goal. And it was like slow motion. It, it sort of hit the bar and come down. It didn't even fall for Pablo Mills, who was sort of on the lines for him to sort of just knock it in after that. You know, oh, it was, it was agonising. And we were on a massive, massive bonus, let me tell you. We were on a good bonus, even for a, a draw. And that's the way it went. And, you know, going back to the James Beattie thing, the game finished, final whistle went, everyone swapping shirts. Darren Fletcher was 10 yards away from me. And I shouted, Darren, Darren. Darren, he ignored me about five times. I said, can I have your shirt, please, mate? He said, um, I'll see you in there. Anyway, got showered, put my shirt, put my bag on. And I walked out and I put my bag over my shoulder like that. And I actually bumped into Wayne Rooney coming out the tunnel. And uh, I said, oh, Wayne, I said, Darren Fletcher's not still in there, is he? And his words were, he got off ages ago with, with, with a bit of swearing in there. <laughs> I thought, he said, why, what do you want, mate? I said, he said he'd sign me shirt. He says, come on, what? he says, what can I do for you? So I took my... Crawley shirt out my bag that I'd wore that day and Wayne Rooney signed it across the front for me which I thought was really nice as well Nice touch That summer did you actively sort of seek a move away then because you ended up at, at Fleetwood in a, in a kind of similar move to Crawley weren't you that they were the kind of big spenders of the division and everything and I remember Steve Evans at the time was saying that, that you were homesick and, and it was kind of to kind of solve that issue almost He took us to a compulsory holiday to Vegas and LA so we went for four days in Vegas and four days in LA and it was honestly it was a laugh. Some of the stories, I mean, it was crazy. But we had lotto tracksuits. We just won the league. We got fast-tracked through Gatwick to go to Vegas in LA. And the MGM Grand, in the best hotel you can ever be in in Vegas. And with a group of lads that was going, it, it could have been chaos. How there was no further trouble, God knows. But what a time we had. And you're laughing. We, we got there and we got sat down by the pool. And uh, there was me, uh, Tubsy, Scott Shearer and Craig McAllister sat there. And we had these strawberry daiquiri things where you have them round your neck and you've just got a big straw and you're drinking these drinks so out walks the gaffer in a pair of shorts 
flip-flops, flip-flops, a vest and a hat. So we're sat there and he's going, we're looking, thinking, what are you going to do here? So he goes in the lazy river, you know, one of them lazy river things. Mm. And he puts this rubber dinghy around him to go in the river. And we're going, oh my God. So we're sat there and we had to sit and wait. We didn't know how long this lazy river was, or we just knew we were going to see him come around the corner at some point. <laughs> and he come around the corner. You know that, that noise of the rubber on, wet rubber on the skin. But, well, he couldn't get the dinghy off him, could he, when he got back? So Wes sat there. He didn't want to laugh, but we sat there. And it was just, it was great. So in amongst all that, the last day in LA, you had a meeting with us all one by one in squad number order, right? I was number 29. So you can imagine how long it took me to get to my meeting. So we had the meeting in. Got back. The last day, I broke my phone in LA. So gets back, gets back to Crawley. Next morning, I wakes up. There's a note through my door in my flat with a brown envelope. Uh, my office at whatever time. Because he couldn't get in contact with me, I'd lost my phone. So I goes in his office. Right, bro, you can go back up north. I went, should I put a thing out for you to go on loan up north? I said, right, okay. He said, there's 12 clubs come back. He says, you can speak to three of them. I went, what about the other nine? No, 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 no. I'm thinking, later on, I thought, you know what's gone on. There's something obviously gone on. You know, Steve wants me to go somewhere for one reason and one reason only. I'll let you decide that. So I said, who's the three clubs? He went, Darlington, Grimsby and Fleetwood. You speak to any of them. I said, okay. So Mark Cooper texted me a few times and I thought, Northeast sounds good. I'm glad I didn't because it's the year they went bust, by the way. Or Fleetwood. He said, yeah. He said, as he gets on his phone, he said, uh, yeah, speak to him. And it was Andy Pilly, the chairman of Fleetwood. So gets on the phone to, to, to Andy Pilly, who was, at the time, had had a few beers. He was on a stag do in Prague. So the deal got over the line. They flew me up from my, uh, from Gatwick to Manchester. Someone picked me up in Manchester, took me to Fleetwood and got it done and dusted on the day. And amongst a little bit of the old school duggery by the two of them put together. And we, we got sorted and I ended up going to Fleetwood, which, again, a team of, of, of real, real characters, strong Scouse characters and, Looking back, there'd be things I'd do different there as well in a, in a group like that. Yeah, because like I say, it was very similar sort of setup to Crawley, wasn't it? That they were big spenders yeah. and Jamie Vardy, you know, signs for them as well. Steve McNulty's already there. But I, I looked at the sort of strikers at around that time as well. That, you know, Andy Mangan, Magno Vieira, Gareth Seddon, as well as yeah. Vardy. I mean, that's a strong front line, isn't it? So, so I, I guess, again, you would have been rotated quite heavily there. Yeah, well, yeah, massively. Again, Mickey had money at his, you know, he could get money and he could buy players and he bought the best. And sometimes it doesn't work. You know, Steve Evans could have failed on the money he spent on players. So could Mickey, but they didn't. They, they, they used it well. And they bought good players and we had to sacrifice. Again, a Fleetwood, I was in the 16 every week, which I think is a compliment to myself as well because, you know, to the players that were there, you could quite easily leave, leave people out. You had to have a goalkeeper on the bench, so you only had four from the rest of the squad. And again, when Vardy come in, Vardy was squad number 32, and he only come in in August. So that's how big the squad was. What, what was it like playing with Jamie Vardy? Did you, did you think immediately, wow, this guy's going to go all the way to the top? Or what, what was your impressions? Vardy was very good. Vardy was probably like a little bit what I was at York, but not as good. But as for, I don't mean on the pitch. I mean, he could do what he wanted. You know, Mickey let him get away with murder because he, cause he, was, he was what he was. So no one argued with Vardy because he was doing the business, which is, you know, which is fair play. But both feet, his finishing, his pace, his, his hunger, his desire, he'll probably admit himself, that was not looking after himself off the pitch. And he, he, I'm sure, that's not me talking out of turn, I'm sure Vard's will hold his hands up and say that. You know, didn't have a bit of weight on him, could eat, drink, whatever he wanted, nothing put on. Uh, but 
as far as your finishing goes, you know when you when you run at that kind of pace, you have to stop and, and settle yourself before you put the you strike the ball. Vards did. He was at the same speed, left foot, right foot. He had this thing where he lifted over the goalkeeper, and I think the goalkeepers knew what he was going to do, but it just it was going in anyway. And, and one of those games, obviously, for Fleetwood was back at Boven Crescent against York City. And you took a bit of stick, I remember, in that game and then obviously went on and got the winner. Were, were you a bit disappointed that, that you got a little bit of abuse from the fans or, or are you just thinking that that's football? I did. I, I, I'd, I'd like to say a bit of both. Again, I was disappointed to be on the bench. I'd been suspended. I'd had five bookings and I was coming back from a suspension. So, whereas Steve Evans, one of his big things was he would play, he would always play you against your former club. Because he had this thing where that you you were up for it. But Mickey didn't have that, but that was one of Steve's things. Steve used to do that all the time. I was disappointed not to play at night because I'd been suspended and I just had to accept it. And I did get a bit of stick warming up and I thought, mm, it's a bit uncalled for. And then obviously I've come on and I remember talking to Scotty Davis afterwards. He went, bro, he went, that was the worst substitute performance I've ever seen. He went, you were dreadful. But I scored the goal. And I, I, I was poor when I come on. I haven't, always been the best substitute in the world. I, I just, something that through my career I thought, every time I've come on, I haven't really done a lot. I don't know why that is, I don't know. What, what was that feeling like then scoring against York? I can't remember, quite remember if you celebrated or not. I did want to celebrate and I didn't really celebrate, no. I, I just remember the lads jumping on me. I don't know if you know, that pretty much, not mathematically, but that clinched us the title that day. Not mathematically, we had to beat Wrexham on a Friday, but that kind of clinched the title that day. Um, so the goal was a big goal really. And to be fair, it was a good goal. Ingy too slow getting down he was. No, I didn't want to celebrate because I, I had a lot of special moments at that football club and uh, uh, even more to come, which I didn't realise in my second spell. And that Fleetwood team as well, it was over 100 points that they got as well, didn't it? So that's kind of like your second Champions medal almost in, in, in two seasons, yeah. wasn't it? So even though those moves probably weren't as you know good as they were when the time that you were at York City, that you, know, you have got medals there and, and you have got things to look back on your career and say that you've won. Yeah, hundred percent. I've had I've been very lucky. And you look at them four years. You look at Wembley at the trophy final, Wembley at the playoff final, win the conference. You win the conference again. And amongst that, you've played at Old Trafford. You've played at Stoke. So I was very very lucky. And like I said, I don't know if people's been listening to Danny Murphy recently, but regrets in football. If I, I think if you don't have them, I think you're wrong. I, I've got a lot, a lot. But I'm also very lucky because not many players would have played the amount of games at the level I have and, 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 and won and achieved what I've achieved, both collectively and personally. And I also noticed, looking back last night over uh, your career at those two clubs, that you actually played and scored at Luton Town twice in two seasons as well, didn't you? What, what was that like going back? Was that, was that quite a, a determination from you for what had happened with the coin trucking? Yeah, massively. I got booted. I remember coming out at um, the, the, the Crawley game, sorry, we got presented with a trophy last night and I scored the goal coming from a corner and I flicked it at the near post. That We got presented with a trophy that night. The, the Luton fans had gone by then, thank God. And then the Fleetwood one, away from home, I just remember. You know, remember the song, Karma Chameleon? Yeah, they were singing, Brody, 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 your mum's a whore. And it was echoing around the ground. And I scored again. And actually, I probably shouldn't have done it, but I went and... Sl- where the tunnel is, as I've scored at that end, I went and slid in front of the tunnel and they were trying to get up all the hooligans over there, but I thought, ah, well. You went back to Crawley and was that kind of just done and dusted with, with Steve Evans and was it that you'd, you'd been out on loan to the Fleetwood? Yeah, Richie Barker coming at Crawley and he asked me to come back. Didn't really want to. Then I went on loan to Morecambe and I had six months there, which I absolutely loved. I absolutely loved it. Again, through circumstances, is not my own. Morecambe were playing me full wage from Crawley, which, as you can imagine, 
wasn't in Morecambe's budget. So I'll never forget my last day was my last game was Bradford at Morecambe on New Year's Day, um, and I love Morecambe. Jim Bentley, great. Still speak to Jim now and Kenny McKenna. They were great, and Jim doesn't get a lot of credit for what he. Well, he should get a lot of credit for what he's done. If you work with Jim, you know what he's about. And again, another one who said he signed me because of that semi-final against York Morecambe when I elbowed him in the face. And he said he's got the picture above his bed at home. So Jim's motto is that he signs players who he didn't like playing against. So there, it just shows how different managers were. But I went to Morecambe. Last game was Bradford at home. And I remember the lads. There was the likes of Barry Roach. There was um, Big Kev Ellison, Andy Wright, Gary McDonald. They all took me for a drink because my loan was up. And I went in this <laughs> this pub in Morecambe, which paint your own picture on a Tuesday afternoon. It's not going to be jumping, put it that way. And all the lads stayed and we had a great time. We had a re- And it was, it was even the lads who were driving had come and had a, a soft drink. And Steve Coppel had gone to Crawley by that time. And I, I didn't end up going back to then. I had a decision to go to Mansfield under Paul Cox or Grimsby. And obviously, I ended up at Grimsby. Yeah, and then the, the following season, I think you end up at Gateshead as well. Is that right, when you, when you left Crawley? Yeah. And that, that, to me, at the time, felt like that could have been quite a good move for you. It's a North East, you're a Northern lad. And, and I think you started fairly good for them, didn't you? I think you got a couple of goals early on in the season. And then Gary Mills comes in. And, and is it fair to say you, you two didn't see eye to eye or it didn't quite work out? I, I just, I, I don't get it. Going back to the, the quick story about the Grimsby one, actually. We, we got beaten in the trophy final to Wrexham. And it was Paul Hurst and Rob Scott. And Hursty, brilliant. Rob Scott, hard work. And we played Wrexham at the trophy final at Wembley. And I missed the penalty, believe it or not. And Chris Maxwell was in goal for Wrexham. And Maxi had come to Fleetwood. And I knew that he knew where I was going to go in my corner. And I tried to lift it. Well, I lifted it too much, didn't I? And it went over the bar. So we lost the trophy final. And Grimsby had gated away on the Tuesday night. So that was the Sunday. And Rob Scott had said, no drinking tonight. you got a game. So goes into training the next day in my training kit, in my boots and as normal. Been in there half an hour, had a cup of tea, had my breakfast. I'm just walking out. And Rob Scott, have you got a minute? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So goes in the office. This isn't working out yet. I thought, what? Went, it's not working out. Not, not only was I gutted that I missed a penalty in Wembley, I'm thinking, no, no. He said, just go back to Crawley. I went, why? I said, I've come in for training. So I kind of lost my head a bit. And I said, would you have let me go if, I, if, I, if I'd have scored that penalty? He went, oh, let's not get into that. I said, no, tell me the truth. I said, because that's why I feel like you've let me go. So, as you can imagine, I wasn't happy at all. Got in my car, went back to my digs. I still had me, and I went into the hotel and where I was staying. We'd, we'd come in late, it was about one o'clock, and I went and had a pint. <laughs> it was about five o'clock, I realised I was still stood at the bar with my boots on and my training kit, and I just couldn't get my head around why they'd let me go. So, I spoke to Hirsty the next day, and I said, good luck, Hirsty. I said, you know, thanks for everything. I said, but... I said, oh, you'll be better off on your own. I remember saying that to him. I said, you'll be better off on your own. And mm. so be it. So, yeah, I went to Gated under, under Anne Smith and Davy Rush, going back home. And I thought it was the right thing to do. Just got myself sorted to get to buy a house at home and things like that. And, of course, three games in, who walks through the door? And I, I, I cannot put my hand on what he doesn't like about me. He's never told me. Really not my cup of tea at all. And he really destroyed me in a lot of ways. And for me, I know a lot of your fans will like him, but it's so strange you think you try and work together but obviously not but at that point then you, you, you're starting to kind of not find a, a place are you because you, you've been at Crawley a year Fleetwood a year Morecambe then, then uh, Grimsby 
Gateshead and then, and then you've been asked to leave, leave there. I think the only, the only sort of real place that it felt like you, you were settled again was, was under Martin Foyle at Southport. And was that quite an easy move for you because Martin was probably the person who got the best out of you? Yeah, well, after a couple of games of Gary Mills being in Gateshead, of course, there was a bit of interest from Forest Green at the time. Remember the non-league paper? He was in for the Forest Green job and he pulled us in the, in the, in the changing room. And I was thinking, please, I hope he goes. Please, just just go. And he come in and he went on all lads. He went, he had the paper in his hand. He said, lads, he said, do you know what? If he was chocolate, he was eating himself. He loves himself. And he had this paper in his hand. He went, as you can see, lads, a bit of interest. He said, I won't be going anywhere. He said, some of you will be happy. Some of you just won't, will you, broads? And I just, I was at the back of all these jokes. You're trying to belittle me in front of people. And I thought, you know what? Even if you do think that, you don't say it. But finally took me to Hereford. I had a couple of months there. Again, they were financially struggling. They couldn't pay me wages, so I ended up going to Southport under Alan Wright. Then Wrighty lasted three weeks. Like you said, I just couldn't seem to settle anywhere. Then in comes John Coleman, Scouser with an attitude, big character. John's done great. You know, if, if you can work with John, great. But I wasn't into John's way. I wasn't a Scouser. wasn't into the way he done things. But if you are into his way, then, then good luck to you. But, but it wasn't for me the way he done things. But you can't knock him because he's done really, really well then. Luckily, finally managed to get me to Southport again and I was back home and loving it again, loving playing for him. And of course, the way Charlie was at the time at Southport, he was trigger happy and anything that went wrong, it was the manager's fault and he went. And for a couple of seasons at Southport, we had three managers a year. And then you end up coming back to York in, in 2016. What, how, did you, how did you feel about that, that move? Was that quite an easy move for you to make because of your biggest successes in your career or probably the time you've been happiest it was, at, was at York City? Yeah, well, I went to Aldershot in between. Then Michelle had felt pregnant in Aldershot and wanted to come back home in the January. And I was about to get, funny enough, I was about to get a new deal at Aldershot because I was doing really well. She wanted to come back home, so I signed for Stockport under Jim Gannon just while I was home, just for the last few months of the season. <laughs> Again, a mistake. Jim, Jim was Jim and all about Jim, not about anyone else. So I got a job in Southport College. I was full-time in the college and I was part-time at Stockport, doing okay. The only club I said I'd go back full-time for would be York. And once I spoke to Jackie, it was the club I'd go back full-time for. And again, it felt like being at home when I was back home. It was like I'd never been away. And it's just such a strange feeling because things that I've done and goals that I've scored and tricks that I've tried to do on the pitch, although I don't do many, came off when I played for York, but they wouldn't come off anywhere else. It was an environment where I was comfortable in. It was a place where, remember the second spell, you know, the likes of Sean Rooney and Aidan Connolly and people like that and who I lived with and would go to Morrison's and people had come to Richard Brodie and they were like, Bro, gee, I went. I said, it is what it is. I said, I, you know, <laughs> people think a lot of me in that place, not just in the football club, around the place. And I felt loved. And I think being loved was a massive part of me and, and getting the best out of me. And um, at that club and that city, I felt loved. Because you, 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 I remember you played and you scored a penalty in the six-one uh, defeat away to Gateshead. <laughs> what was the dressing room like after after that defeat? Well, going back to that, the, the Tuesday before Gateshead, we played Ball and Wood at home. It was the third game of the season and, and Jackie had put out that I wasn't fit enough to, to, to start a game, and, um, which was fair enough. He probably had a point. And of course, my son had been born on the Friday and was on the bench boring wood the Saturday. I'd not slept for about four days. Uh, we got a point for, well, they equalised late, didn't they? After mm. Hesse had scored. I come in the Monday and there was an injury and, and Jackie said, hey, you're playing tomorrow. I thought, oh, great. Gated, I'm playing. I thought, I loved it. Again, it was a strange one because... Some managers tell you you're taking a penalty. Some managers pick a penalty taker. Some managers ask who wants to take them. Some managers just let you get on with it, which I always find hard because I hate to see players arguing. 
Hence, me and Ranks at Eastbourne, I think it was. And when the when we got the penalty, I thought, I'm having this. I, I always felt confident from the spotlight. But the Ladin goal was the Ladin goal on loan from Port Vale. And the goal looked tiny. But I remember putting it away well, and that got us back to one all. And of course, personally for me, it was a start of, again, another run of goals. Another, I'd scored five and five going to Torquay away, I think. But after that, Jackie put it down to a one-off. It happens, and we bounced back on the Saturday against, against Forest Green, didn't we, away from home? Yeah, well, it, it was a defeat at Forest Green. I remember going to that, but it was it was the last minute. I think Matty Tubbs scored scored a penalty that was a bit That's controversial right. at the time. But but you scored a, a cracker that that day. Probably yeah. one of the best goals I've seen you score for York, actually. Yeah. And yeah, like you say, it it felt yeah, it was a good performance, and, and it was strange that you thought, wow, got beat six one at Gate. Said that it could have been ten, and then at Forest Green, who, who were favourites to go up, that that it was a good performance, albeit in in defeat. But you did score. You know, I, I look at people saying that. You, your second spell was nowhere near as good, but you did get seven goals up until the point Gary Mills comes in. And one of those was at Curzon Ashton as well, which was possibly one of the best goals you've ever scored for York City, if not, if not your career. Did you know as soon as Gary Mills was appointed that that, that, that would have been you out then, based on what happened at Gateshead? Yeah, I, I did. And, it, and it, that, that, that's how sad football can be, because I honestly, I, I, was, I was only talking to, I think it was my mum about it the other day, and I thought, you know what, if I had rode that out, all right, I would have had a relegation on my CV. If I had a road that out, I know Steve Watson thinks a lot of me. And I know that he would have given me the opportunity and again got the best out of me. When I left Macclesfield on loan, Steve Watson said, you're a better footballer than a lot of people give you credit for. And I remember him saying that in the office. I thought, and that's coming from someone who's played in the Premier League, the Champions League. You know, you don't get that every day. But it was so strange because I scored the penalty against Curzon on the Saturday. And then it were due to go home and we found out that their replays were the Monday night. And I walked in and I walked past Lisa's office and there was uh, Gary Mills and Mark Yates and someone had said Gary Mills had gone to one to five or something in the betting. And I looked at Lisa through the window and she just said, yeah. And I went, oh, here we go. I just don't like him. I just don't like his demeanour. I don't like, and that's not anyone who knows me. They'll tell you, I don't dislike anyone. I try and find the best in anyone. I try and get on with everyone. On that pitch on a Saturday, I'm out there to win. So, but I'll go and have a drink with him in the bar afterwards because your job's to win that game. But, but Gary, I just I remember him coming in and I scored the penalty and I thought, well, I've got to play the Monday. I scored the Monday again. And then we played Chester on the Saturday at home. So, again, I've scored two and two. All right, we've got knocked out the cup. You just naturally think you're your first name on the team sheet. You're the club's top scorer. What, what, what? My granny could have picked the team and put me in it. Or someone else's granny, for example. And he walked in with his suit on and his shiny shoes. And he went, uh, again, you know, looked at me straight away. First player he looked at, he went, like my shoes, broads. I'm thinking, why me? You know, you know what, 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 what you're trying to get out of this? And it was, this was sort of the six to seven butt jokes that he'd made. And I was at the end of them. Anyway, I didn't look up. I didn't listen to him because, to be honest, I can't stand listening to his voice and I couldn't stand to look at him. And I just listened to the team. And <laughs> of course, I wasn't in it. I thought, well, what? I just found it really strange. So when everyone had got ready and he'd gone out, I went outside and I tried to gather my thoughts on the pitch in my tracksuit, I thought. And John McCarthy at Chester said, Broads, all right. He said, I'll tell you what, he said, I've worked all week. He said, told my lads not to give you space in the box. I said, well, tell your lads didn't give as much space in the box as I won't get anywhere near it. Because I said, the box I'm in is in the dugout. You went, what do you mean? I said, I'm not playing. Anyway, that was that. I remember walking out as a substitute to get, take my place on the dugout. And Jackie was up with Jason. I looked up, I rolled my eyes, and Jackie just smiled and rolled his eyes too, as if like sarcastically. I thought, you know, what, why? I just didn't, just didn't get it. Really didn't get it. So it was the right club almost at the wrong time. Then this is coming to 
were you actively seeking a move then, or, or did Gary want to move you on? What... Gary gave other people a chance. That that is the that is the the point that I'm trying to make. Gary never gave me a chance at Gated, and he never gave me a chance at York. He didn't give me a chance. Why? There's no reason. And when I went into his office, he didn't have a reason either. He sent me a load to Macclesfield, which again was the wrong time. Watto wanted to play me. John Askey was very set in his ways with the players that he had and he brought in, he trusted, which, fair play. But when I did come back from my loan at Macclesfield, I had a bit of paper with the stats on. I'd scored seven goals before I'd went. He'd played Scott Fennick. He'd played, he got a lad on loan from Barnsley. He got a young lad on loan from... He'd used six strikers in the space of me being away who hadn't scored seven goals between them. So I told him that. So uh, I come back from my loan and the boys were travelling to Dover on the Saturday. You had Dover away. On the Thursday, I went in to see Millsy and I said, look after him. I wasn't funny at all. I was just said, look after what, you know, what's the situation? Me loan's up. I'm back now and the club were in a relegation battle. My point was, look after, you might not like me. No, they don't like him. But professionally, you put your professional heads on. I said, I said, this is my football club. I said, I can do things at this football club that I can't do anywhere else. I said, the only benefit you're going to get is by playing me or giving me a chance. He said, no. I said, why? I said, look, there's the stats. I'm still the club's top scorer. You're in a relegation battle. I said, what, what else could go wrong? He, went, he just said, get out of my office. That was a Thursday. He said, you're in with the kids Friday, Saturday, Sunday while we're in Dover. And, what, what's he going to gain from that? I don't know. If he doesn't want me, then why am I in with the kids? I was driving home, the phone rang, Alan Lua, who was manager of Bangor. He said, uh, Broads, Millsy said, you, you want to sign for Bangor? I said, did he? So I know nothing about it. He said, I even said, where is Bangor? <laughs> <laughs> so I stopped off. I was, um, I was just by Chorley. I was nearly back in Southport. And on the Friday, my missus had a hospital appointment at the time in Ormskirk. So about an hour later, Alan Lua phoned me back. He said, you said you're in with the kids. I said, uh, Alan, I said, I'm not in with the kids. I said, my missus has got a hospital appointment tomorrow. I said, and I'll be going to the hospital with my missus. <laughs> an hour later, the phone rings again, Alan Lua. Millsy said, I felt like saying, tell you what, tell Millsy to ring. I said, I've just been in his office and he's kicked me out. I said, tell him to ring me himself. He said, um, Millsy said, you can go to the hospital with your missus if you take a £1,000 and rip your contract up. Well, I had more than £1,000 left on my contract. I said, tell Millsy to stick, stick the £1,000 where the sun doesn't shine. I said, because, anyway, lo and behold, went to the hospital. Unfortunately, we had a miscarriage that day. On the Saturday and the Sunday, I persistently phoned and texted Gary Mills and Darren Kasky asking what time I was due in training on the Monday. And I knew what they were trying to do. They were trying to get me to not turn in or to be late so they could find me. So I phoned Foyley and Foyley went, um, just, just, uh, just text, make sure you've got it in black and white because then they can't say they haven't received it. No text back or nothing. And I knew t- Mondays were 12 o'clock with Millsy. So I just come in for, I come in for half 10 just in case. And I remember to send you around for a run on the training ground. And he come up to me and he tried to go, give me a high five and say, all right, big fella, like that. And I just went, don't. And I just carried on running. Not replied to any text. Tom, and he's getting people to ring me up to take money to go and leave. And I thought that was, that was really the lowest of the low for anybody, not just a football manager. Like I said before, you're not a piece of meat. You know, you're, you're a human being. Uh, by the way, a human being that loved the football club and was eating me up inside that I wasn't given the opportunity to, to show what I could do for the football club. You all love, love York City, as, as we've kind of gathered through, through this podcast, but, but Gary Mills does as well, and you've both had success in different, different spells. Correct. So it almost, almost seems a shame that it, that, that it couldn't sort of come together, that, that you both could work together. Were you really sad then to leave the second time? You mentioned there that before that you, you regret almost not, not riding it out, but that relationship sounds like it was almost irreparable between you. 
like I said to you, he was determined for me to do something where he could find me or for me to snap or for me to do something that I could be punished for. The main point I'm making is I didn't, he didn't give me an opportunity. The second point, he didn't have a reason and didn't have the balls to say to me, look, Rhodes, this is what it is. One thing he did say was, you're a little bit, you know, a little bit overweight from your first spell. I said, Millsy, I'm, you know, I'm seven year older. You know, uh, he said, look, it's bigger than mine. And then goes out and signs John Parkin. Listen, I'm not, I'm going to go at Parky because Parky's had a great career and Parky's a great lad and Parky scored a lot of goals. But it was just, just my point is to Gary Mills, just be honest, tell me what you didn't like about me. You know, we maybe could have done something about it. It's a shame we couldn't get our heads together because I know a lot of York fans are like him and I know what he'd done for the club, great. And well done to him for that, by the way. I think about it quite a lot, to be honest. It really, really does still bug me to this day. I only said something the other night about it. It just really bugs me. Since you've left York, you've had a number of clubs and... I mean, you're only 32, which I, I thought was staggering when I looked at that. It feels like, obviously, because yeah. you made your debut in 2007, I guess it feels like you've been, you've been around such a long time. Do, do you have any regrets from your career? A lot, yeah. I have a lot of regrets. Not hanging around at York the second time and, tr- and, and trying to prove a point, because the, the longer that the club were in the mire, the more that he might have thought, well, I'm going to have to use him here, because he might be my only option to help save me. But then again, my contract was up in the summer anyway, so I wouldn't have been there the year after. Like I said, I would have done things differently, especially off the field and on things that I've done work that I've struggled with. But my last one is the Solihull. When I got my chance at Solihull under Liam McDonald, I played three games, Ebb Street at home, Dagenham at home, got man of the match, Dover away. Then Liam got sacked and <laughs> Richard Money come in, took me all the way to Eastleigh, then released me on the bus at two o'clock in the morning getting back from Eastleigh. Said, well, this isn't going to work. I just come on and done all right at Eastley. To be fair, put me on the bench. So I thought, oh no, I was in the conference. I thought, how old was I? This must only be two, two and a bit year ago. Thought I can still do it, and it gave me confidence that I could still play at that level. And I'd done really, really well. Obviously, I left. I thought, well, I'm not going to play. There's no point. Of course, nine days later, he resigns, didn't he? And then come Tim Flowers. So. Again, if I'd hung around for a couple of weeks, would things have been different now? Would I still be playing that level? Because I still think I've got far too much to give from where I'm playing at, at the moment. Because I guess with Richard Money, I, I, I presume that one of the reasons you did leave was thinking, well, Richard Money's just come in, so he's not, he's not likely to leave anytime soon. So I guess, you know, like you say, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But I, th- I think you reunited with Liam McDonald, um, didn't you, at Rushall? Oh, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. He phoned me up, said, Richard Money's come in. You're not going to play. Come and do me a favour. And I thought, oh... He said, look, I'll look after you. And he did look after me financially. And by the way, I'll say it now, they played against York that day in the FA Cup, hadn't they? Rush Olympic had come to York that day under Billy. And I went there, didn't know anything, didn't know where it was. I thought, am I dropping too early at my age? At the time, Liam went, come and do me a favour. And you know what? I went there. I had an absolutely brilliant time. What a lovely, lovely place. What lovely people. John and Nick Allen, who are very well thought of in the, in the Midlands as a family. Uh, they're the chairman and his son. They're very well thought of. Liam was great. Liam was great with me. It was quite hard at times because we're roughly the same age. And so he was a manager and I was a player. And obviously I'd played more games in the conference than what Liam had. But Liam will do well. And he's done very, very well there. It was enjoyable. I only went to do him a favour. I ended up being there. And the only reason I left was because the, the travelling with the kids and stuff. I just couldn't do it anymore. But fortunately, I went back for a funeral. And I went back to games in between. And funnily enough, they've just done a podcast, the chairman and his son, and put me in the as one of the top signings in their sort of tenure in charge. And it was a fantastic place. My, my kids were made feel welcome. And I sort of got to the point where 
I was two years down the line, I dropped that level and I thought, am I really going to get a chance to go back again? And I think you mentioned to me last, last week when we, when we spoke off air that, that you had an offer from Blythe Spartans, didn't you, last season to play in the Conference North again? Yeah, that was last October. I had a deal. I went and trained with them for a week and they offered me a deal. But obviously I'm living based in Southport now and, it, and he wanted me there all the time and that was the reason I left Russell was the travelling. and it, it was just, again, the wrong time. But I still I still really feel like I could do it at the Conference North level. I really, really do. Yeah, because, I mean, 32 is not no age, is it, really, as a football? I mean, people can play into the late 30s, can't they? Do you still have those goals then of, of kind of trying to get back up the, the ladder a little bit? I'd like to have a go. I'd, I'd, like, I'd like someone, if they're listening, to maybe give me a chance in the North West. And, and whether it's a case of, you know, me going and training pre-season just to, you know, give me an opportunity as a, as a trial. You know, again, I don't really want to travel with kids and work and things. And, but I would like to give it a go because I think, I think I've got a lot to give. And I went to Skemmersdale. The reason being is through my career, I was really lucky with injuries, really lucky. And I'd done my knee toward 80 months ago and I needed somewhere local to get the trust back in my knee again. Um, Southport were great, by the way. Southport let me go and do some rehab there because was, I was an ex-player and I lived in the area. Uh, Liam Watson got me in there with, with their physio. It was very, very good. So I'd like to thank them for that because they didn't have to do that. You kind of, I found I've doubted myself quite a lot when you said last week about Ingi and Danny Farslow speaking well of me. And when you, people like Liam Watson, who I didn't think I was his cup of tea, he's texted me to come back and get treatment. And, you know, you never know when you might need people. And I do want to coach. I want to manage eventually. Uh, I speak to TY a lot. I speak to Ingi quite a bit regarding bits and bobs. So, you know, I feel like you should treat people how you want to be treated. So it's nice that I do have those people. I don't know if you've read recently, do you ever look on Non-League Daily at all? Yeah. Jamie Milligan's got a good interview on there uh, in the Bosses Lounge with Millie and I played with Millie, got a lot of, a lot of time for Millie. Took us on my first night out in Blackpool when I was at Fleetwood. But he, he speaks, he's, there's a question on there and he again speaks very well of me, which is again is you know from someone like that who's played at the highest level and I read about his coaching, his way of management and he will do well again. He's another one who'll do well as a young manager. Are you starting to look at sort of coaching now then? Or, or are, you, are you sort of looking at that being, you know, I'll hopefully have another three or four seasons of being able to play up the levels and, um, you know, then look at coaching. Or how does it work? It's a bit of both, really. I'm, I'm in a bit of a dilemma myself. I know I've got Scammersdale on my doorstep and I know that Paul McAnally, I was doing a bit of coaching last year there as well. There was a couple of times when I was, you know, I took the warm-ups before the games and I was taking some training sessions and the lads really took to me training sessions because the manager hasn't played at, at, at the level I have and that was quite nice in a way but then you get stuck in that I'm a coach or I'm a player and can I ever go to a player if I'm having a nightmare as well and I spoke to T.Y. about it that's what, that's what I rang him for so I'm, I'm actually at a crossroads myself and then I think no, you, you should play for as long as you possibly can funnily enough I spoke to Millie and just said to Millie at Bamba Bridge, that's the Northern Prem, so the one below the Conference North. I asked Millie if I could come in pre-season. I have got options and I do want to play, really, if I can. If I can. And you mentioned earlier about, about work and you were telling me before that you, uh, you've just had your first week in a new job and you got employee of the week. Yeah, well, I was, <laughs> it was one of them where I don't all this isolation stuff and coronavirus. I think that there's people out there who, who can't get out the house and the elderly and the way I look at it is, my granny's in Newcastle. I can't help her because I'm down here. There might be someone in Newcastle whose granny's in Southport who, who needs the food delivery. So I went and done some, I've been doing some delivery work for Morrison's, just delivering food to, they've, they've specified the catchment of people who can't use the internet. So they now phone up to Morrison's if they want to order the home delivery. So the elderly, um, and I've been doing a bit of that and just received a bottle of Prosecco and a nice card today off the boss for being my, uh, employee of the week. Great call, what are you doing? It's nice that people appreciate what you do, but I haven't done it for that. I've done it for people who 
you know, like I said, it might be someone's granny who, who they can't help, and I hope someone would do the same for mine. To sort of look back and reflect on your career, what would you say was your best ever sort of goal in your career? As an individual goal? Yeah. My favourite one has to be the Luton goal. It has to be my favourite one. Whether it was the best one or not, I don't know, but it has to be the Luton goal because what it meant, the time and how the game had went. I like to think that I made those people, those punters happy that night. I made a lot of people happy that night. And again, although I'm scoring a goal for York City and making their fans happy, today I've delivered food to someone who I've made them happy. So I'm still making people happy, but in a different way. Life's too short to fall out with people to live each day as it's your last because you just don't know what's, you don't know what's around the corner. And like I said, I lost my dad when I was younger. And my granddad was a massive role model to me. He played for Middlesbrough. I lost him two years ago. So I'll be honest, I, I kind of think that's where some things have happened in my career because, you know, my dad wasn't around. And I feel people, again, who know me, I don't talk about things. I bottle things up to try and hope they'll go away and bury your head in the sand. And, of course, then you get deeper and deeper in the, in the mire. But now I talk about things a little bit more. And what is it? A problem shared is a problem halved. Is that the That's right it, yeah. Which is, again, something else that I believe in. But yeah, the Luton goal has to be my favourite. My best one, oh, I don't know if you remember, a volley against Lewis at home. That I managed to, off Daniel McBreen's header, and I've hit one of the volley from 30 yards at the longest end. It went right in the top corner of my right foot. That's got to be up there as well. Was that one of those that you knew as soon as it left your foot that it was in, sort of thing? Yeah, and it was my right foot as well, so God knows how it's gone in, but it did. <laughs> I think you got a good one with your right foot against working in your second spell as well, didn't you? Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah, on the edge of the box. Um, who who's the best player you've played alongside, sort of strike partner-wise, throughout your career? Me and Rank. Ranks and myself complimented each other, didn't we, really? The way that he'd done me donkey work and I'd done, I, I finished it off for him. <laughs> but no, me and Ranks had a good partnership. And again, going back to Martin Fowl, I fully believe, and I, I know I told you about Russell Olympic and me getting on with the chairman and the manager, about complicating football. Foyle played a 4-4-2. No one does it anymore. A 4-4-2. You all know your job then. At the end of the day, no disrespect, we're all non-league footballers. So the, the simpler it is, the better. 4-4-2, you all know your job. There's no excuses because a lot of people want to make excuses now. Ranks complimented me well. You know, you've got to look at Vard. My touch didn't have to be good. If you're having an off day, it didn't matter because he was that quick to get on the end of something. He had to chest it down to him and he was in front of you or you flicked it on and was behind you. So Vard's just different class. And to go, I didn't think you're going to do as well as what he has, but fair play to him, fair play to him. Who was the best player you've played with or against? Vardy's got to be the best player i played with. But again, Jamie Milligan was brilliant at Fleetwood. He's left foot. You could put things on a, on on the end of your toe for you. Again, he's played in the Premier League. When I went to Gated, John Oster. Oh, my God. John, I remember no eating no away. You know when you're playing five-a-side and training, the goalkeeper drops the ball for you. To, to go. John Oster went to the goalkeeper on the penalty spot in our own box and asked for the ball. He started dribbling through people. It was frightening, Johnny. Again, a, a great lad. Playing against, this has really just sprung to me, right? Edgar Davids. I played against Edgar Davids when he was at Barnet. And obviously, Rooney at Old Trafford, he's got to be the greatest, hasn't he? What he's achieved and his record and massive respect to him because football players don't get, everyone just sees the bad in football players but they don't ever get a, a well done and they like the James Beatty thing, the Wayne Rooney thing in the tunnel. People don't see that. They just get publicised for the bad things they've done and I find that hard. Last question and I think I probably know the answer to this but who's, who's the best manager that you've played for? Martin Fowler's got to be the best manager I've played for. Awesome. He, he got the best out of me. He got the best out of me from, from day one. <laughs> I didn't actually tell you the story about when he came in and I was on four yellows and it was a Satanta Shield. So we played Salisbury away on the Saturday and we had the Satanta Shield on the Tuesday. This is how well we kind of clicked and I was on the bench. I'd just come back from my loan. He said, you're on four bookings. He went, if you come on, he said, just stand in front of the ball or just kick it away. He said, do something to get booked because you'll miss the Satanta Shield game. He says, which 
is less important than the league. Well, I actually come on and scored and took my shirt off and got booked for that. So <laughs> I managed to improvise, but I still got the job done just in another way. So we had a laugh about that later on, but I still speak to Farley now. I took the kids to that Trentham Gardens in Stoke not too long ago and I phoned them up and he said, I'll put the kettle on. You know, we have that relationship. It's great. It's great. And, you know, again, football is based on opinions and people won't like Martin Foyle, people won't like me, but that's the way it is. And we've got on and I can only thank him for, for what he's done for me. He knows that anyway. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's been a fun, fascinating journey to speak to you you know going through all, all your career and and it, I really appreciate the fact you've been so open and honest about absolutely every part of your career and I'm sure that you know if you go into management or coaching that, that there'll be some players there that you'll be able to kind of give advice to that that you probably needed at certain points in your career so I've absolutely loved speaking to you Richard I, I hope you've enjoyed it too I, I've really enjoyed it I think that's a massive a massive point I know when people get managers jobs and coaches jobs they say they want to pick bits of good and bad from every manager and try and combine them together to make themselves a good manager. I fully believe that with the mistakes that I've made and the things that I haven't done, hadn't done and should have done, I think that will only stand me in good stead to, to, to help me because I think 90% of management at non-league level to begin with, I think 90% of management at that level is getting players on board who like you and who will play for you because I know that if you like someone, you're going to give an extra 10%. It's just human nature. And I think if you can get people that, that like you, and want to work with you and have good people around you, then you know you're only going to be successful because we all know football. You can all go and play four four two or put a set piece up. But yeah, look, I've made a lot of mistakes. I do want to rectify them, and I've really enjoyed it. And if there's anything I can do for the football club in the future, if there's anything I can do, I know I've done some YouTube things for people, and I'd love to come to a game. I'd love to be around the place at any time. I'm always more than happy to help. And I'm sure you'd always be welcome as well. And who knows, we might see you in the dugout maybe as a as a manager, if not on the pitch as a player at the York City's new stadium. So thanks again, Richard. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Richard Brody there. Hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Another fascinating insight into the career of someone who's played for York City, which is what this podcast is all about. But Richard was so open and honest about everything to do with his career and his life in general, really. And I really appreciate his, his honesty with everything that he spoke about. Any issues that you heard that Richard speak about and you can possibly relate to and you're struggling with them, then I really would strongly advise following what Richard said, which is you know, to speak to someone about it. Certainly as a York City fan, there's Michael Miles who runs the fantastic Wifront fanzine, both in print and he does a podcast and he, and he does a, a brilliant Twitter feed every day. He, he's someone that's very passionate about speaking about mental health issues. He's, he's also run an event last year. So, you know, maybe get in touch with him, meet he would be a great part of call for anyone suffering with, with mental health issues. Finally, I'd like to say thank you to Beverly Thorpe, who sponsored this episode. It was a really nice message I got from her on Twitter in the first instance to ask about possibly sponsoring an episode. The donation is very gladly received by the charity. And if that's something you listening would uh, fancy doing, sponsoring an episode, then please do get in touch through Twitter or email or whatever it might be. Or indeed, follow the lead of many York City supporters who have uh, enjoyed the podcast and donated to our charity via our Just Giving page, which, a little reminder, is justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. that's it for this week join us again next week where we will have the maverick that is mr john parkin runs his own podcast probably a bit unusual for him to be on the other side but a 
again another great insight coming up so see you again soon thank you